0: Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a show for 20-somethings that are trying to figure out adulting. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Each episode, we focus on solving a problem that we will face throughout this defining decade that wasn't covered in the classroom. This could include topics about our career, health, relationships, and money. Let's get into it. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Justin Peters, and welcome into another episode of The Struggle is Real. My question for you today is, why is money so mysterious? And why don't we feel better equipped to handle our finances when we get into the real world? My guest today is working to solve that issue. On the show with me is Tracy Bissett, President and Chief Financial Fitness Trainer at Bissett Financial Fitness. You might be asking, what does fitness have to do with finance? Well, she'll answer that question in the first few minutes of our conversation. Tracy has over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry. And after moving on from her successful career in banking, she's now focused on helping young adults and entrepreneurs achieve their financial goals. Tracy is also the host of Young Money Podcast, an advice show for young millionaires in the making, which she started over three years ago and now has over 120,000 downloads. My goal by the end of this conversation is to have you feeling more confident growing and using your financial skills. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with the financial fitness trainer, newspaper publisher, college professor, Tracy Bissett. Tracy, how are you?
1: I am great, Justin. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation today. So you are the president and chief financial fitness trainer at Bissett Financial Fitness. So my question is, what is a financial fitness trainer and why do you call yourself that?
1: Uh, So I'm going to start with even what is financial fitness, um, so that if we know what that is, then we can talk about what is a coach. Um, So throughout my life, I've always been super passionate about helping people learn about money, um, young people especially. And I find the term financial literacy to be extremely negative because it starts with the supposition that you're illiterate when it comes to financial matters. And already then you're feeling embarrassed, you're ashamed, you're you're not very happy. Uh, So I like to talk about it from a positive standpoint. So just like physical fitness, we could be taking that first step off the couch, going to go for a walk around the block, we could be just learning on our financial fitness journey. Or we could be quite far along in the journey, we could be uh, training for a marathon physically in our physical fitness, or we could be um, learning how to do more sophisticated investing. So I think we're all in this journey in our lives, wherever we start for financial fitness is where we are. Uh, we can't change where we're starting, but we certainly can change where we end up. And we're all moving forward on the journey together at different stages. And so as a financial fitness coach, I'm really helping take the mystery out of things that um, may make sense to me a little bit easier because of my background in banking, um, things that I've done myself and to really kind of navigate and help people on their journey with the things that they want to learn about. And uh, it's super important to know that everybody's got their own financial goals and as they should. And I don't think we want to fall into the trap of everybody trying to do the same thing should be what's important to you. So how do you get there and accomplish your goals?
0: Hmm. And you mentioned the word mystery and your, your tagline is taking the mystery out of money. Why do you feel like money is so mysterious?
1: A whole bunch of reasons, a couple, uh, especially in Canada, we see that there's a, the teachers and the school system does a really poor job of educating students about money. So all the way through your your formative years, you're not really learning about money. Uh, When you go on to post-secondary education, depending on what you're taking, you might learn some things if you're in a business program, but the average person isn't learning things about money. Um, And then some people in the industry talk about it with a lot of jargon, almost in a foreign language, with lots of acronyms and um, make it seem really mysterious so that they can kind of lure you in to uh, to work with them. And really, it should be plain and simple, you should understand everything that you want to do, you should be able to ask questions. And uh, sometimes I find that um, kind of putting up those barriers with those acronyms that different words that people may not be familiar with that can can scare people and keep it a mystery when there's nothing that should be like that uh, when we're talking about money and personal finance.
0: Yeah, and the U.S. education system mirrors the Canadian um, education system. As I don't think we're very well prepared whenever we come out of high school and/or college, especially around personal finance. I took one class in high school called personal finance. It was uh, sixteen weeks, and it wasn't even a required class. It was actually an elective class. But I've always had interest in personal finance, so I took it, and I learned some things like how to write a check or um, some other things in there. But I didn't really learn a lot. And I don't think one, you know, semester long class can really do justice for what is such an important um, skill to have coming out of college. So if you had federal resources or, you know, uh, fairly, fairly large resources, how would you go about changing the personal finance curriculum in the school system?
1: Uh, So when I spoke before, I was talking about teachers, but as you said, it's really at the funding level, really at the formative level. Uh, So I would incorporate money lessons into every single grade of school Uh, because it doesn't really matter what age you are. You can be learning something that has to do with money and personal finance. Um, Your views around money are formed when you're five, six, seven years old. So you may not know really what it is, but you certainly get feelings around it. You're going to have gut reactions that develop because of that. And I've had a five-year-old tell me money is evil. She doesn't really know what money is, but she knows that what happens around the money conversation in her house is not a positive thing. So uh, we can take those moments with kids and start really, really young and then make them age appropriate lessons. And I would incorporate it into every grade. I would make it mandatory in high school and absolutely mandatory in post-secondary, irregardless of what you're, you're taking. Um, and the other thing that's kind of a danger that happens is that the school system will look back at the parents to provide that learning. And most parents don't have the education either. So everybody's kind of caught uh, without the knowledge and it It's embarrassing to say, you know, I don't know either if your child is asking you a question, especially when they get older. And now maybe they're going to be judging you about your financial life. Uh, So I think if we can bring it to school, it helps parents. It's going to help uh, the next generations coming through. And we're certainly going to have a more financially fit, more financially literate um, society and world. And that's just going to raise everything up.
0: Hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And really the only place that we typically get personal finance education is from our parents. So you see, and I've seen it in my friends, they typically respond to money or value money, um, have the same money habits as their parents. So if you weren't fortunate enough to be set up in a good situation, then I see it continue down the line with some, some bad habits. And unless you find a great mentor or you find a great podcast or resource like yourself, it's really hard to get out of that cycle.
1: Yeah. And it's a very deliberate, um, to try to break that cycle and those patterns. Uh, like first you have to observe what are your natural reactions and inclinations, and then you have to start taking steps to change it. But it's, we're not talking about overnight. This is going to take you a little while to do it. And you've got to be motivated to do it and see the actual benefit to you.
0: Hmm. And is there some questions to bring some self-awareness around some of those habits? What, what would you suggest someone that is maybe coming out of college that realizes or starts to see, okay, I don't look at money or handle money or have the same money tendencies as some of my friends. What questions could they start asking themselves to understand what some of their root um, values are around money?
1: so some of the basics would be almost if you get a bill how do you feel when that bill comes you open the envelope or you open your email um what are you feeling and think about that Uh, when you get money what's your first instinct to do with it is it to go and spend it because that's what you've always done because there's never been enough so you want to reward yourself in the moment when you have it or you're thinking you know I'm going to put some towards this. I'm going to put some towards this other thing. And I'm going to take a small amount and I'm going to go out for, for dinner tonight. Um, so observe your own behavior. Start thinking about what do I normally do? And then the next part of that is why do I think I do that? and it probably stems back to something in your family. Um, for instance, if you you came from a family where it was very tight purse strings, um, very tight controls around money, it wasn't that you were lacking, but everything was, we've got to save money, we have to be cost conscious. Um, you're probably going to have this tendency to rebel against that kind of behavior. And so like you like to spend really, really freely because you don't want to be constrained. Um, because there can be good good saving and then there can be super restrictive so you may rebel against the notion of saving just because you got tired of it when you were uh, raised in your family so all kinds of different dynamics and then certainly if you're moving in with roommates while you're in post secondary or after post secondary you've got to have conversations with them about how are we going to do things and then as you go on if you have romantic partners that you live with um Typically, two different sets of values and behaviors and thought processes are coming together, and that can be a source of a lot of uh, conflict if you don't talk about it up front.
0: Yeah, I've noticed in my own personal life, that was probably my first collision with money was with roommates, (laughs) and uh, even something as simple as what do we keep the temperature of the house at, because I know how much that would affect the electric or gas bill one way or another. And somebody else not thinking from that perspective, not from a money perspective, but, you know, maybe a comfort level or something like that. Did you have roommates um, or live with people that you had to have those conversations with?
1: Absolutely. And the one thing that stands out to me, um, I firmly believe in having Kleenex, so tissues. Um, and I we in my house we always had tissues um, so it was no big deal but when I moved in with people they'd be like we'll just use the toilet paper as a tissue (laughs) and so okay well I want to have tissues and so we actually did have a conversation around well if we're putting those in the joint budget I don't want to pay for those so Tracy you buy your own tissues we'll buy the toilet paper together um, and some other things that we all need in the house but you, you get that on your own because that's important to you and we don't care about that. So mm. something so silly, um, but important to me, um, not part of their lives, but we had the conversation so that it wasn't this, Oh, I have to pay for Tracy's Kleenex again. Mm. <laughs> and so- the, the earlier you talk about it, the better. Um, so actually writing out a budget, how much like is cleaning supplies going to cost uh, if you're getting um, internet for the house. Um, depending how you're doing it, making sure you, you talk about all those things Um, because not everybody comes from the same financial position. So you might get stuck one month, especially if you're the one who opens the bill in your name. Um, Like if I'm the one who sets up internet with the company um, and then every month I'm expecting to collect 10 bucks from everybody and people don't have it, that's going to be a bad day at that time as well.
0: Hmm. So you set up a joint account where you pulled money for community resources with your roommates.
1: No, we would usually um, each kind of um, we would figure out how much we thought things were going to cost and then we would each take responsibility for a different one if we had to set up an account so that it wasn't all in one person's name, which is also a good way to establish credit, too, because you're starting your credit history. Um, So that's good, good, too. But um, if we were taking turns when we would go for groceries, okay, Tracy, this week, it's your turn to buy toilet paper. Next week, it's your turn, uh, Susan. And then and so on. So, um, I don't, I think it's uh, overly complicated to set up a joint account to actually put the money in there.
0: Yeah. 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 It makes sense. And that's how I've handled it in the past as well. And sometimes there was clear communication around what was shared purchases mm-hmm. and other times there wasn't. And that's tough. If I feel like you get into the routine and you never address that, that you know, what might be causing some, some anxiety for you around something. Like I I remember one year I avoided the cable conversation and we, (laughs) we bundled internet and cable and I'm not much of a TV watcher. And I I had to suck it down and eat it the entire year, even though I never really, you know, watched, watch any TV whatsoever. And it was like an extra 80 bucks or something to bundle cable on it. So whenever, uh, it came up next year to have the same conversation. I actually moved out with one of the roommates, but another roommate moved in with me. And we had to have that conversation all over again. And I think that was the first time that he even considered the fact that
1: mm-hmm. I might
0: not, want, might not want to pay for cable. Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, the other things to think about, are you going to have insurance if you're in an apartment? um, It makes sense to have tenant insurance and you should all be covered. Uh, But sometimes people don't have extra funds because they're deeming that to not be so useful. The other thing um, that can come up quite regularly is if one person has a car Mm. and everybody kind of piles in and gets rides to school or gets rides to the grocery store. Well, what's the agreement around the gas? So the car is their responsibility, but if you happen to be using it pretty regularly, what are you contributing? And most people will think they have no part of that.
0: I hope you're enjoying today's conversation with Tracy Bissett. Before we get back to the show, I want to share an opportunity to win a free book for supporting the Struggle is Real podcast. All you need to do is share this episode on your Instagram story and tag me at Justin Lee Peters. I'll pick one winner before my next episode release to receive a copy of Young, Fun, and Financially Free by Leanne Hawkins, subtitled, Live a good life now and build a kick-ass future. Looking forward to seeing your post. Now back to the show. So visit Financial wasn't actually your first company. You, We have to go <laughs> way, way, way back um, to your childhood. And your first, I think one of your for- first companies was a newspaper distributing company called Flashy News. Can you tell us about that?
1: Absolutely. And that was um, probably was seven years old um we had everything that we needed in our family in terms of um, groceries toys anything that we we needed we had and even um, additional things for hobbies but I wanted to go to the store pretty regularly and get some sour soothers some slushies chips whatever it was and so my mom would give me money once a week and she said that's it like you can have your 50 cents but you're not coming back any more days till next week. Uh, So my friend and I, we brainstormed, well, how can we get some money? So we thought we'd whip up this newspaper. So we actually, actively went around we interviewed our neighbors on two different streets so so so-and-so's grandmother's going to come visit so-and-so is re-wallpapering their kitchen and we would write about these things in our little newspaper we'd create some contests like word search we'd have some coloring pages and we hand colored every single cover of flashy news so it was very unique but the body of the paper we would alternate between our father's offices photocopying them so we sold them for a quarter. And so then we could go to the store for quite a few days on these proceeds that we had from flashy news. Um, and it just, it wouldn't have been so rational or logical a thought when I was that age, but I learned very, very young that you can use money to get you things that you want. So I didn't want to just amass the money and keep it in my piggy bank. I wanted to go and do stuff with it. Um, so from there, it kind of spurred me on. Um, that was my first little business flashy news. And then when I was 15 years old, I had, um, a company that would take care of people's homes when they were away. So, mostly for my neighbors. So, either look after their plants, their pets, um, check the mail, water the grass, do things like that. And it was, uh, we lived in Colby Village. It was called Colby Castle Care so my dad helped me come up with the name of that. And we, w- I was even subcontracting out the lawn mowing to my brother and he was handling that part. Um, but it really gets you thinking. And I was so entrepreneurial as a kid. And then I actually moved into banking after my um, post-secondary education. And I thought I would stay there for a couple of years. And it, it turned out to be fast forward 16 years. And then I got, got back on the entrepreneurial track.
0: Mm. Do you have any copies of the, the flashy news newsletters? There is
1: one um, that I can't put my fingers on uh, lately. We have seen it in the last few years. I think my mom's got it somewhere. Uh, I keep trying to look for it and find it because if I could get some pictures of it, that would be great.
0: That'd be so awesome. So your banking career lasted a little bit longer than you thought it would, but I'm assuming you pulled or you learned a lot of great things Mm -hmm. to allow yourself to create Visit Financial. What were some of those things that you learned throughout your banking career?
1: So I specialized in the area of commercial lending and risk management. So I was working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, all the way up to really big size companies, helping them get the access to financing that they needed. Uh, So I trained and studied uh, financial analysis. I would write the applications or I would be their relationship contact at the bank. Um, when we were looking at new transactions or additional financing. And then when I was in risk, I actually approved loans for companies across every industry, all across Canada. We looked at some things for the U.S. as well. Um, So I learned, number one, um, clearly the importance of a business plan and well-written projections. And when I say well-written, I don't mean like pristine formatting. Um, easy to read. I mean, based on real assumptions, based on the things that are actually happening in the business, and that could support the loans that the people needed. Um, The importance of validating ideas um, is super important. Um, A lot of people will come to one of the big banks and look for financing for a brand new startup. That's not usually how it works. You better have some track record and some history. Um, But what I did see is that it's super important to establish credit in your your company as soon as you can and so it might be based on your personal score uh, credit score at the beginning but then as your company grows you can expand that credit with the growth of the company um, the other thing uh, that is very important is to keep in regular communication with your banker Uh, Let them know when things are going well. Let them know when things are not going well. And they don't expect you to have all the answers, but they do not like to get surprises. I know sometimes when I would come in and some of my customers would be overdrawn and I'd have to return some of their items that had cleared the account during the night, uh, we'd have a conversation and we'd talk about my options. And so before this happens as a banker, I'd have tons of options. Let's see if we can get you an increase to your line of credit. Let's see if we can get you some other kind of loan. Uh, Let's see how we can help you now that this has happened without any warning. Now we're kind of worried about your management acumen and your capabilities because you didn't communicate with us. I'm not sure if you knew it was going to happen. And then we're not sure how you're going to navigate out of the situation. So um, being transparent and and talking about issues that surface in the business is really important. Hmm.
0: And when did the thought of Visit Financial come up? When did you decide you wanted to exit banking and get into the personal finance and entrepreneur space and supporting them?
1: So we had a restructuring and uh, my seat was removed from the org chart. Uh, I received a really fair severance. So instead of getting my resume together really quickly and hopping back into another bank, doing the same kind of work, uh, because there was a lot of opportunities available, I took some time and thought about all of the things that I like to do. Uh, so, I'd had some great experiences uh, at TD developing courses and facilitating courses for newer lenders. So, I liked the teaching part and I liked talking about cash flow and I liked helping uh, people. I had loved working with all of the entrepreneurs over the years. So, I wanted to keep doing that. Uh, As well as I'd done a lot of volunteer work during my time at the bank, uh, particularly for youth and around money. Uh, So volunteered with Junior Achievement or Girl Guides, different organizations like that um, to help young people learn about money. So I kind of packaged everything up. And so my business is really dedicated to supporting young adults. And I primarily do that through my podcast, Young Money with Tracy Bissett, uh, which is geared for 18 to 30-ish in age group. And it's pretty much anything that money can relate to, as well as kept the coaching and education part for entrepreneurs uh, by helping them make sense of their financial statements, the cash flow cycles in their business. And I found a teaching position as well. So I teach at a, a business school and college. Um, so I get to stay very much in tune with that age group. Uh, College student ages what's going on what are pressing issues on their mind and help them gain skills that are going to help them in banking, Uh, because the students that I teach are in a financial services financial planning program so they're going to go on to be bankers.
0: So, what was your initial feeling whenever the restructure happened and you were laid off? Were you relieved because maybe you drug your feet on the whole uh, entrepreneurship route? Were you overwhelmed and not sure where you wanted to go? What what, what was your initial feeling?
1: Um, I was not happy. First of all, I mean it was a, it was a surprise, but not a surprise because it was um, a very sizable reduction across the board, uh, and the. The level that was being targeted was the level that I was at. So I was mentally prepared, um, but I wasn't initially thinking about entrepreneurship. Um, I was working a lot and I wasn't always happy in my role. So that gave me a good time to take a pause, get rested up, do some really rational thinking. And that's when I started thinking about, well, what do I like to do? go back to the basics. What are the things that makes me happy? Who do I like to work with? Who do I like to serve? And um, my dad reminded me, why don't you, why don't you go out and do entrepreneurship? And so I took everything that I liked and kind of put it together. And as I said, I had a really fair severance. So I actually had the time to do it. I didn't have to make a decision very quickly. And I know that that's a luxury that not everybody has when they're, they're out of a job. So I I took that opportunity to pause and kind of reset. And I'm I'm glad with with the direction that I I moved on to.
0: I think a lot of people are probably glad with that (laughs) direction as well. So, you know, so much time working with young adults between um, your work at the college and, you know, through junior achievement and um, the work through the podcast and everything. What do you see young people doing right in regards to money?
1: Uh, The first thing is I see a lot more conversations happening um, than when I I was that age. And I think that's a really good thing. There's still lots of stigma around it. People would rather talk about just about anything, even sex, than they would rather talk about money. And so I think the more the dialogue opens up, the more people can learn and we can learn from each other. I don't need to do everything right for you to be able to learn from me. You just need to be able to learn um, maybe how you would approach it or how you would perhaps do it a little bit different. Um, So I think that's one good thing. Um, I would say that there's never been a better time to learn about personal finance because of the the plethora of blogs, books, podcasts, YouTube channels, everything is out there. Um, But I would say that not everyone is interested. Mm. So conversations are happening, but you have to take your own initiative to dig in and find out what you need to know.
0: Do you have a recommendation on a book or a podcast or something that you would give a young adult that is just kind of starting their journey on personal finance?
1: Yeah, uh, there's an author, uh, she lives in New York now, but she is from Canada, Leanna Hawkins. And her book is Young, Fun and Financially Free. And it's basically a primer on how to be an adult. And I think it's a great book. It's super easy to read. It only takes a couple hours cover to cover. um, So very practical and very easy to implement. Um, She's great too. You can follow her on um, social media. She's always sharing lots of great money tips. Um, So I think that's a great book. Um, And there's tons of podcasts out there. So including both of ours that can, can, can help young people, Um, but getting your hands on something tangible, because you're going to have a lot of times you don't know what questions to ask. And so um, having something that you can read that starts um mulling around in your mind you can start jotting down some questions and that actually once you ask your first question they're going to flow but the the first issue is i don't know what to ask i really mm. don't know anything about this so i don't know where to start so i'm not going to start mm. tends to be the reaction
0: yeah i would agree with that and it's overwhelming and you're not exactly sure and it's it's intimidating to get into this space um do you get personal finance questions with your students
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so often, um, right now for COVID, we're not in, in class, but, uh, certainly before class after class, now they will reach out to me on LinkedIn or through my email. Um, but one thing I noticed that was happening and it didn't seem like a big deal to them, but it was a big deal to me. Um, I heard someone asking someone else to co-sign their car loan with them. Mm. And so what that means is that, um, if I'm asking you, Justin, to co-sign with me, I can't get the loan on my own because w- whether my credit history is bad, maybe I don't have a high enough income. And so if I can't make the payments, they're gonna come and look to you. And so people didn't realize that. And I, I, I saw it a few different times. Um, one of my students came to me and said, Miss, my my friend, she broke up with her boyfriend and um, now the, the bank is after her to pay the car loan because he's not around. I'm like yeah, that that's kind of what happens. So I would say um, one of the things that is prevalent, whether it's a, a car loan, whether it's a credit card, any other kind of debt, is um, not fully understanding the concept of credit. And number one, that it needs to be repaid. It's not free money. Um, number two, if you don't pay it when you're supposed to, it can impact your credit score, which it can impact a whole bunch of areas of your life. Um, so that would be the first thing. Usually. Um, young adults tend to want to focus on investing first and really get um, into that. But I think understanding credit is one of the, the fundamental build building blocks, um, especially if you've got student debt, if you've got credit cards, make sure you understand how all of that stuff works um, before you get into the stuff that you think is more fun or a little bit more exciting.
0: Mm. Yeah. Let's open that, that, that kind of warms up. I, I like this topic and I want to explore it a little bit more. I'm assuming the Canadian and U.S. financial systems are fairly similar. Um, so, what, what, when you're saying credit, what is credit, and what is a credit score?
1: Um, So if you think about it, it's just like you have a reputation yourself as what kind of individual, what do you stand for, what do you do, Um, your credit score and your credit report reflects your behavior when it comes to paying people back, Um, do you do it on time, do you always make the payments, do you miss the payments, Um, do you have some creditors that you completely ignore, and so Over time, that creates a score and that score then impacts um, your ability to number one, get credit, but then also how much you're going to pay for it in terms Mm -hmm. of an interest rate. And so the lower the score, um, the more you're going to, to pay and you may not have access to credit as easily as someone who has a high score. Uh, It's one of those things that is hard to completely navigate. There's a lot of factors that go into it, like um, payment amounts. uh, For the other, Another thing would be your usage on your credit card. So if you have a limit of $2,000, it's usually better to be borrowing $1,000 or less at all times than it is to be borrowing $2,000, because if you're right at the limit, it signals that you might uh, be having trouble managing your credit. So you're almost better off with a higher limit using it $2,000 we had 5,000, for instance, and used 2,000 versus 2,000 limit using 2,000. So it's um, kind of a black box kind of a thing. You can't figure out everything one for one. But knowing that it exists, knowing that somebody out there, this um, credit bureau agency, and so Equifax is one of the big companies that, that we have in Canada and the U.S., uh, same with TransUnion, um, you can check your score. And I highly recommend that as soon as you start having credit, uh, that you check your score once a year. And you mm-hmm. want to make sure for a couple of reasons. Number one, that everything is accurate. And number two, that you haven't been a victim of identity theft. Uh, because people may get access to your information and actually go out and open credit lines, maybe a credit card in your name without you even knowing. And they're using that. Um, so there could be those kinds of situations as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we've all heard the horror stories going for, um, you know, get, going to get qualified for a home loan or something and realizing, since you haven't checked your credit score in a couple of years, that there was some identity theft there. And now you have a terrible credit score and you're paying astronomical rates for what should be a, a, a pretty low interest rate in general. So, what, what about student loans? Does Canada? have the same issues that the united states has with student loans
1: yeah certainly um, our students are highly indebted i don't think it's quite to the degree as the us Um, but what i would encourage people to do um, is really go through a thought process when they're thinking about post-secondary and you really want to start that when you're in like grade 10 grade 11 and i know it's hard because nobody's really helping you Um, but think about what am i going to study based on what I'm going to study, do a little bit of research, find out how much money you're going to make realistically. Um, because does it make sense to take on 50000 in student debt if your income is going to be 45000 most of your life? Like, does that make sense? Because what happens when you, you're over-indebted with student debt is it delays those other milestones in your life you maybe can't go back for that second degree, maybe you can't get a car, maybe you won't be able to move out on your own. Um, And so all of it kind of moves together. Um, When you're thinking then, okay, if this is reasonable, let's figure out how much it's going to cost for the program. And if you want to go away to school, that costs more than living at home. Um, Think about your options. I know everybody uh, likes to go away to school. It's more fun. You're away from your family, you have more freedom and flexibility. But What would happen if maybe you went to school part-time or you lived at home and went to school? That dramatically reduces the bill for going to school. The other thing that gets overlooked very, very often is all of the free money that is out there. So there are so many grants, scholarships, bursaries, and you've got to treat it like a job when you're still in high school and um, prepare applications. But getting a $1,000 scholarship will save you about 70 hours of work So when you Mm -hmm. think about your time that way, and um, what that means is that when you're in school, maybe you won't have to have a job as well. Maybe you can borrow less because maybe you're still going to work so you can come out with less student debt. So never um, turn your back and kind of ignore those free sources of money. Uh, I've had a couple of people on the podcast. There's um, two sisters whose mom helped them, and they were able to secure between the two of them $60,000. And that wasn't from like one big scholarship each. That was kind of like heavily treating it like a job, going out and getting the five hundred, the thousand, the five thousand, and trying really hard to get that um, because they didn't want to be saddled with um, student debt their whole lives. Um, so thinking about what's going to work for you, and and don't think just one solution.
0: I know you're passionate about the scholarship piece to it. You set up scholarships um, through, and I think you awarded seven scholarships last year. Mm -hmm. Is this right?
1: Absolutely. So we started the Young Money Scholarship Fund in 2020 proceeds from visit financial go to that and uh, uh, seven deserving recipients we played a very small part in their educational journey, uh, but what we were focused on and this is important criteria, a lot of the scholarships go for people who have really high grades, or low income or perhaps who, who log a lot of volunteer hours. The two criteria that I was looking at, um, or a couple criteria, they study in Canada, don't have to be Canadian uh, resident or citizen. Um, They have helped someone else accomplish their goals, because that's important to me and aligns with the values of our business, as well as they have a little bit of a plan for what they're going to do in their lives. And what these seven students uh, want to do, what they're passionate about, who they've already helped is really phenomenal. And it's so great to see. And it's super inspiring for what's going to come in, in the world because we have people like that out there who are focused on making a difference and they're studying something they're excited about. Um, when I went to school, I didn't even know about half the things that they're, they're <laughs> focused on and that they're making a difference in. And I think that's the wonderful thing uh, with as so much access to information. I think that's one of the good things that comes out of it.
0: Yeah, agreed. Well, most of my listeners are done with school, Um, so scholarships are a thing in the past, and I'm sure they're okay with that as well, but something that uh, a lot of my friends are getting into in general is creating side hustles. They're either looking to supplement some of their income that they're making from their full-time job, or they have have interest in something else, and they're trying to create, through a side hustle, eventually a full-time hustle. So I I know you have some advice on um, uh, side hustles and creating side hustles into full-time hustles. So can we talk about that?
1: Absolutely. Um, So first piece of advice, if you do have a full-time job, um, check your legal contract with your employer to find out what you're allowed to do as a side hustle. Um, Because if you're working for a financial services organization, there's going to be a lot less flexibility than if you're working at a different type of company. So you need to find out what you have permission to do. And usually most companies are going to require that you ask their permission. So Check that box first because you don't want somebody to come along later and fire you from your full time job because you violated uh, your employment terms. Um, Like I alluded to before, when you're going to start something on the side, you want to make sure that um, you test your idea. If it's a brand new idea and you're coming up with something from scratch, do a little bit of research and make sure that the target client you want to pursue likes your idea and that they want to pay you the amount that you think it's worth. So before you go and spend a lot of time and a lot of money, make sure you validate that. Uh, One thing I do see a lot of people who come out of school, they want to get into a side hustle. Many of them will start in a multi-level marketing company and they might be doing that. Their friend get encourages them to join. And it's very important that if anybody ever wants you to start selling something that you need to think about, did I want to be an entrepreneur? And my cousin actually asked me to do a show on Young Money about that because several of her friends had incurred a lot of credit card debt. Uh, Because they just got into something and didn't do any critical thinking around it. So do I want to start a business? Do I want to be responsible for sales? Um, Thinking about all of those kinds of questions. Do you have money to um, perhaps invest in inventory if that's what it requires? So do a lot of due diligence, be a critical thinker, explore all of those kinds of things. And whenever I'm in doubt and I'm not sure how to approach something, I always ask Google, like there's no reason not to. Um, How do you evaluate this multi-level marketing opportunity? And a list of criteria will probably come up or things to consider. Even it might show you horror stories some people had, it might show you some good stories. Um, So it gives you a sense already before you dive into something, uh, what's this potentially gonna be like? Um, So then once you've either got your idea or you're going with some other business that's already established, um, decide how much time you can commit to it. Because you need to be doing your, your full-time job very, very well. You can't shortchange your company. Um, you need to deliver. So are you going to be getting up earlier in the morning? Are you going to be using some of your time at lunch or after work, weekends? Um, figure out how it fits into your life and that you want to spend that much time on it. Because when you're getting something going, it takes a lot of time. Um, even with your podcast, when when you're getting started, just lots of stuff to do. Um, So you want to make sure you're still going to have time for friends, you're still going to have time for your hobbies, and that that fits. Um, But what I can say is that it, it will be a great idea to have multiple streams of income. The pandemic has showed us that that is super critical. If one part, something happens to it, then we can supplement our life with something else. Um, And then I would say you want to stay with it like you might have dreams of this becoming your full time gig. Um, You want to stay with it until you at least make as much money as your salary and probably stick with it even longer because you can't just take all the money you make in sales and, and take it out and cover your lifestyle, you need to be able to cover the costs of the business. So being very objective about, is this kind of a hobby or can I make this into a a bigger business. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree with that. Um, I like people that go out and are creating something. I found one great side effect of side hustles too is it might be filling your cup in terms of the purpose piece that you might not be getting from your full-time career while your full-time career might be supplementing the income for your lifestyle along with the benefits that you need as well. So I think it's a great balance, Um, but if people are ready to move to their full-time hustle and create a business now, um, what are some things that they need to do now as full-time entrepreneurs? I know one thing you mentioned was separating personal expenses and business expenses. So, you have this person, you have a, a prior student that comes to you. They created a side hustle. They just left their full-time job. Their side hustle is doing well. Maybe they're making 150 to 200 thousand in, in sales, um, and they're ready to go full-time into it. What might be some early money things they need to consider? around creating their business.
1: If it's going to make a big leap in revenue, you want to make sure you're set up right with the government. Um, because sometimes when you're, you're making a small amount of money, you might not have all the right uh, tax numbers you need, registrations. Um, you may decide to incorporate your business so that you protect yourself from liability. Uh, You might want to pursue additional insurances, Uh, like we talked about, you're going to want to keep separate bank accounts, personal and business, Um, also separate credit cards, you want everything to be very easy for record keeping. Um, You're probably at that point going to decide where should you spend all of your energy and time, um, because there is a learning curve, when I came out of the bank I was an expert at like three things. And when you're an entrepreneur, you have to do about 50 things. So figure out what should you do, what's going to be better use of time, and what could be done faster if you hire someone. Um, And you might see already at that point in time, when should you start bringing on a team, even if it's part-time team, couple hours a month, who can support you in that way versus just a random contractor that you hire out to. Um, Then also think through your plan, where do I wanna take this business? How many hours do I want to work? thinking through all of those. The other thing that is super critical is to find a community of like-minded people that you can share experiences with, ask for help, um, just generally support each other. Um, So I had tons of friends who had corporate careers when I was in corporate, I had to expand my network. So I'm not saying bye to the old people, but I need to expand my network so that I have people to call now when I don't know how to do X. Um, I don't know how to update this thing on my website or I don't know how to do um, something else and that I have a resource group to go to. Some people are more advanced than me, some people same level, some um, maybe starting a little bit behind me, but you've got this new support system so that you have people to talk to. It can be very um, isolating when you're starting a business um, because you're working really hard on your own, especially if you're doing it alone. So you want to pay attention to your mental health Make sure you're, you're checking in with people, uh, your friends and family may not know too much about it, so they may not be as good a support system as you need. And so make sure you're, you're not kind of isolating and and doing everything on your own.
0: What things did you specifically do to start creating that network?
1: I joined different groups. Um, there are tons of communities for entrepreneurs and you can find whether in a certain industry, if you wanna be in a group with women entrepreneurs, um, if you want to um, be in sort of a lot of mastermind groups out there where you would meet every month and share information, there's incubator programs. So if you're in a particular industry, tech especially, you may be able to apply and get part brought in as part of a program to actually Uh, blow out your business and really flesh it out with the support of um, mentors firmly in place. And so you don't need to look very far. You just need to start that process and look. Um, Social media, there's all kinds of wonderful groups that you can belong to. Um, The one thing with podcasting, uh, I love it. It's so fun. Uh, There's so many groups for podcasters out there. And people are genuinely willing to help each other. I find that people who are employed for themselves or building something of their own, um, they are very positive and very open to helping others. Whereas sometimes in corporate, it's just about, okay, what am I doing? I'm going to focus on myself. Uh, so that that's a big difference. So be willing to help others. Don't have an expectation of something in return. And when you ask for help, people will generally help you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the podcast community is great. As we both know, there's so many people mm-hmm. out there that are just like you and I that are willing to help out people that are getting into it or taking the next leap inside of this. So you also mentioned that um, you might be great at three things, but when you become an entrepreneur, now you have to wear 50 different hats. Mm -hmm. One thing that I see in particular, um, some of my friends that might be a freelancer that are taking the jump into really entrepreneurship is sales. Um, It's something they don't enjoy doing. They like their craft. They either like doing the creative work that they're doing or building what they need to be building, but going out and selling themselves can be challenging. You were the top salesperson at Junior Achievement <laughs> for two separate years on a product that uh, I wouldn't say would be super easy to sell. So what what did you learn from <laughs> what did you learn from that experience that might help out some early entrepreneurs that are a little timid around sales?
1: Uh, so, firstly, you need to understand um, what your buyer's looking for. So you may sell a product or a service that. Um, solves a need for them. And you could explain all of the features of it, um, but you really need to focus on what do they want. Um, so if they want something that makes their life easier and faster to do things, focus on the benefit that they're going to get. So think about them. And um, that's the most important thing about sales is to always focus on your customer. Um, you also need to have belief in the product or the service and you had, need to have belief in yourself. So we talked about when you're a kid and you form your views about money, Um, What comes up when you're selling is, especially if you're putting something out into the market that you've created, all those feelings around money and insecurities and perhaps tied to your, your worth of you as a person going to surface and so it can be a very emotional thing for people to go out and ask people um, how dare i ask for this much money what are they going to think of me how could they ever expect to pay this much uh, for what i'm offering and so you've got to do a little bit of mind work as well be persistent don't be discouraged if you're not having very good success again work with a mentor work with a coach figure out where you're having the problem and then tweak your your approach. And it could be that you're trying to sell something that's a great product or service to the wrong market. And you need to just pivot a little bit and target a different type of person because what you've got is great, but you're trying to ask somebody who won't pay that much for that um, to do it. And you're really just targeting the wrong person. It could be in the way that you're phrasing things, could be the language. And so being... Um, of a student of yourself to see what's working and it is trial and error Um, focus on the fundamentals of sales you can certainly learn lots of tips and tricks for the different social media platforms if you're going to be selling online Um, but at the core of it you've got to believe in what you're selling and and feel confident in that
0: I am really tempted to go down the rabbit hole and ask you more questions about that. But I want to give you the opportunity as we're rounding out this conversation to share with my listeners where they can listen to you because you have such a great podcast. And if they're interested in personal finance or they're uh, young entrepreneurs as well, you have so much great resources over there. So can you tell us about the Young Money podcast?
1: Absolutely. So Young Money with Tracy Bissett, the advice show for millionaires in the making, Uh, targeted towards ages 18 to 30 ish but I've got younger people and older people who listen and anything that I can link to money I certainly do so I'm a huge fan of music Um, so I've got lots of shows about musicians and the financial fitness lessons we can learn from them a lot of the episodes are really providing frameworks that you can walk yourself through the questions to ask Um, so it's very rare that I will say never ever do this except if it's probably payday loans or something like that. Uh, But it's more about how do I get to the decision? How do I decide? And it's really to empower the listeners to take those steps on their own. And you only need to take one step today. Tomorrow we can take another step. Um, So we're everywhere podcasts are. So I'm sure you'll put the link for me in the show notes. Uh, If anybody's got questions or comments um, after listening today, I'd love for you to reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, So Tracy has an E and Bissett has two S's, two T's.
0: Cool. And before I ask my final question, anything else, uh, any other um, things that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Final piece of advice is to make sure that you're making, uh, whether you've got a side hustle, whether it's in your personal finance, make sure money is a priority and that you're looking at your financial situation at least once a month. Um, It's when things get kind of beyond our grasp, if we don't know the numbers, uh, it causes lots of anxiety, causes lots of worry, and then it kind of impacts every area of our life. Most times the situation is not as bad as you're imagining it. So get clear on the facts, then you can actually be rational and start figuring out ways to solve a problem if you do have one. Or you can start being a little bit more purposeful about what are your goals and how are you going to get there when you know the numbers. If you realize, you know, I've been calling Uber Eats five nights a week for a couple months. That's not really where I want to see that much money go when you add up how much that is. Um, What else could I have done, you know, and maybe I could go on a vacation with that amount of money. So um, be purposeful, make sure your life is filled with the things that you like and use your money as a, a tool to get you there.
0: Yeah, I would reflect back on that too. I have noticed that many people, once they do get into the numbers, have a little confidence because most people are better with numbers and their spending and their um, uh, income generating habits than they think they are. And putting some time and effort into the numbers actually gives them the confidence and and the realization that, hey, I got this and I can make this work. So, my my final question for you is if, if you had a class of traditional seniors, um, they are in their last semester about to go out into the real world. You have 16 weeks to teach them whatever topic you want mm-hmm. that they're going to face over this next decade of their life. What topic would you teach?
1: Cash flow management.
0: <laughs> and how would you teach cash flow management?
1: so we'd spend a bunch of time on the money that comes in, the money that goes out, the timing that it happens and how we access all of that. So I'd be able to work in use of credit, how do we apply for credit, credit scores, why is my paycheck so much lower than the amount I get paid as a salary? We could dig into all those deductions that happens on our paycheck and and make it really full some kind of like a adulting 101. But it all starts with cash flow and cash flow is key to your life and to any business and side hustle. Hmm.
0: I'm sure a lot of seniors would have wished they had that class. Uh, And if you're interested in cash flow, go check out Young Money Podcast. You talk about it a lot in that show or Mm -hmm. look for Tracy Bissett on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just type her name in. She's got plenty of other podcasts she's guested on. So I think um, she's got tons of resources out there if you're looking for anything particular.
1: Thanks so much, Justin.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. If you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Justin Lee Peters. You can find show notes with links to everything we discussed today at justinpeters.co. This episode was produced by Gabby Dimeke. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in.